Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Your Ben Jarofsky show for this Friday, November 24th starts now. On today's show, it is Friday, so oh, what a week. Ben talks the top stories of the week with this week's special guest, Rachel Jarofsky. The Ben Jarofsky Show is a presentation of the Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for everything there is to know in the city of Chicago. If you want to know what to do, where to go, what to eat, what to drink, where the best deals are for Christmas, you know you're going to spend money on your kids this year. Find all that stuff and a lot more. Ben Jarofsky interviews, columns, whole bunch of stuff, all at chicagoreader.com. You don't want to miss it. And Ben Jarofsky, he's got his own little tag. Go to chicagoreader.com forward slash Jarofsky. That's J-O-R-A-V as in victory, S-K-Y. Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Free Expression Friday, and here's why. Actually, it's oh, what a week. Uh, and I have a distinguished guest, Rachel Ray J. Uh, Jarofsky, which means today's show is really Jarofsky and Jarofsky. Oh, what a week. Uh, we're both uh, recovering from an outstanding Thanksgiving dinner. Lots of delicious food. Lots of great company. I didn't really drink that much. I've really stopped drinking since the gout in September. But a good time was had by all. And so I arm twisted uh, my... Uh, great daughter into uh coming on the show with me before i do i just want to say something that's on my mind right now and get it off my mind and i've said this so many times on this show we're not going to do a long deep dive into this but i just got to say one more time there is no free expression in america there is no right to free expression in america stop pretending that we have it i'm watching just one every day brings a new story about someone or another who is what fired, suspended, punished in somehow or other for something he or or she said in regards to the war uh, in Gaza. It's either someone who goes too far in in the extreme in supporting uh, Israel and denying the peoplehood of Palestinians, uh, or it's someone on the left who goes too far uh, and just sort of denies the fact that Hamas slaughtered, what, a thousand or so Israelis uh, on October 7th, one way or another, someone is offended uh, and the person who is the offensive person is punished. And then the outcry from the supporters of the person who is punished is extremely, what happened to first free expression? So the same people who are saying so-and-so should be punished for being too pro-Israel are saying so-and-so should not be punished for overlooking the slaughter of Hamas and vice versa. No, it's like they don't. I don't even think they realize it at the time that they're saying it's. By the way, this goes well beyond what's happening in the Middle East. There's no free expression. Every all we have in this country is a right to to denounce. We want to have the right to denounce anybody and say anything about anybody. 
We don't want other people to have the right to do that to us. If you believe there's free expression in America, think about the guy who supposedly represents the idea of free expression the most, Elon Musk, who purchased Twitter and then destroyed it, or is in the process of destroying it. Yeah, I still have some friends who like, you know, they're still on Twitter. I go, that's where I get my news, Ben. Hey, cheapskates, why don't you just go buy and subscribe to a newspaper? It's free on Twitter, Ben. So anyway, Elon Musk, because he believes in free expression, he wants to open up Twitter to absolutely everybody, even Nazis. They're free to say what they want on Twitter. Go work for Tesla. Okay, go work for Tesla, the company that uh, made uh, Elon Musk a billionaire. He's going beyond Tesla in terms of his billions, but that's his main company. And denounce Elon Musk. Call him a fraud. Denounce Elon Musk at, because he's a MAGA man, but he gets most of his money from handouts or so much of his money from handouts from like Democrat left socialist, quasi socialist governments uh, in throughout the, the, the country, states, etc., cetera, uh, that are giving benefits and subsidies to people who buy electric cars. Go, go on, on Twitter and denounce Elon Musk as a phony, as a fraud as a hypocrite and see how long you keep your job at Tesla before Elon Musk fires you. Get out of here. Stop kidding yourself, America. There is no free expression. All right. Without further ado, I'm going to bring on the great Rachel Ray J. Jarofsky. Welcome back, Rachel. It's only been 12 hours since I saw you. What's up, Dad? I um, just want to shout you out for being uh, a dishes king last night. For listeners, Benny J was whipping these dishes, cleaning the kit. You know, you know how it goes with Thanksgiving. It's a tier system. You know, you kind of like, or, or there's shifts rather. So you have to be getting in, you know, getting in there and doing dishes at all periods of the night. And I just want to say that uh, Benny J was absolutely leading the charge and deserves all the credit for uh, getting that kitchen back to where it needed to be. So dad, congrats on absolutely crushing it. Yes. Uh, so everybody knows I can't cook. So I do other things. Uh, and I don't know if people know this, but uh, I spent about 10 years of my life coaching youth sports. Uh, and so I kind of returned to that coach, uh, that coach segment of my life last night in overseeing the dishwashing uh, brigade. Uh, Come on, let's go. We could do this. Let's go. People running up the stairs. Yeah, I'm with you, coach. It was extremely uplifting. So, uh, Thank you. Thank you, Dad, for bringing that energy, that tenacity. It's like flag football already all over again. All right. So there's three topics I want to cover today. Uh, and um, I'm almost relieved to cover these topics, uh, Rachel, because it's sort of bringing me back in time to like a simpler mm-hmm. time in American politics. Uh, so we'll start uh, with uh, Mona Sharin's column that ran in the Sun-Times today. But I, I see... When I looked it up to send it to you, I realized it's been running all in newspapers all over the country. So let me give a little background uh, about her and uh, before we take the deep dive in it. She is a conservative columnist. Uh, she's been writing for years. Uh, back in the day, she was like, I think of like a George Wilt style Republican. Um, and uh, very much, she was very much involved in the earliest stages of culture wars as they were being waged by the Republican party. Now I've kind of like, I almost, when I say I feel good about being critical of her, uh, it's cause it brings me back to a simpler time when I was pretty much critical of her all the time, but I read her lately uh, over the last four years, she has won my respect 
because she's one of the uh, few conservatives who's willing to speak up to Trump and Trumpism and fascism and call it for what it is. So before I get started, I have to tip my hat to her. Uh, she's taking a stand against fascism as it's represented by MAGA. So I got to give her credit uh, for that. So this column that she wrote was sort of like taking me back in time. Uh, and it, I read it right after I read the AP story about what's going on in Ohio in the aftermath of their referendum on establishing uh, abortion rights in that state. So it was like one, two combination about how these political battles are never fully settled, even when you think they're settled, uh, and that these ancient fights continue uh, for, uh, to this day from the culture wars of the 80s and the 90s. Uh, so her her basic story, her basic column had to do uh, with the notion that um, the great downfall of the family uh, in the United States is because there's too many uh, single parent families uh, and particularly too many uh, families that are headed by women. And she didn't make a point about talking about single parent families that are headed by men. I don't even think she had that statistic in the story. Uh, but uh, essentially it was um, a, cr a critique of single families headed by women. Uh, and the enemy uh, in this article were, was feminism and feminist. And the idea is that feminists waged war on marriage. They did this uh, as part of their liberation movement in the 60s and the 70s. Uh, and as, as a result, the marriage rate fell and there were more single family uh, throughout the country than ever before. Uh, and as a result, there was less money coming in. So there were more, more families that were poor. Uh, so her, that's essentially her thesis is that uh, single families, single ha single parent families are at a disadvantage. They're poor. There's more child poverty as well as a result. Uh, and uh, we owe, we blame this on uh, feminists. They're the reason. They waged war on uh, marriage as an institution. And as a result, fewer people uh, got married. Fewer women got married. And here's the takeaway uh, quote. Uh, that sort of sums it up, and, and I'm quoting her from the column, at quote, as I documented in my book, Sex Matters, marriage has been in decline, at least in part, because it was sabotaged. Feminists argue that marriage was essentially a male conspiracy to keep women unfulfilled, submissive, and servile. Radical feminists, I guess radical feminists are even worse than feminists. They're radical feminists. They don't shave under their armpits. She didn't say that. It's kind of what is implied. Anyway, going back to the quote, radical feminists scorn marry women for sleeping with the enemy. I know some radical feminists somewhere must have said that, but there's tons of radical feminists and feminists who A, are married and sleeping with the enemy and have tons or have tons of friends who are married and sleeping with the enemy. Going back to the quote, their arguments carried the day. What? <laughs> The feminist won? What country is she living in? Their arguments carried the day. I'm just laughing at this. I'm thinking of all the conservative officials we've elected. The notion that radical feminists have carried the day politically in this country. Their arguments carried the day or at least contributed to what came next. Marriage rates, especially for the poor and working class crater. It's like, what? You think poor people were like listening to radical feminists? 
and said, that's it. I'm not getting married because I read it in Ms. Magazine or Jezebel, which actually went out of business not too long ago. All right, I could go on and on about this, uh, Rach, but I'll let you uh, weigh in your thoughts uh, on this thesis as put forth by uh, Mona Sharin. Go. Mona Sharin with her, can I speak to your manager haircut? Um, It's... (laughs) She really, she looks the part. She really does look the part. Here's what I want to say. Here's just an annoyance thing. Dad, are you a subscriber of the Bismarck Tribune? Uh, Because I'm like, I I read it once and then I was trying to look back at it and I'm immediately hit with a paywall. And I'm just like, well, there's sort of no way that I'm going to um, financially uplift this, (laughs) this, um, particular newspaper so did, were you not hit with a paywall for this article all right this is uh, uh what we call an aside or a tangent uh so i read the article uh in the um the the sun times which has its okay we are totally on a tangent here but the sun times this is me talking to you loyal subscriber holding the place up with my uh subscription home subscription so you should actually listen to me you know what i mean because i'm like paying all the bills uh your online presence is god awful so you have to go for like three different clicks before you can see an article three different things you have to do no and i listen now i know uh the editors of the sun times go oh come on ben it's just three clicks oh Try to keep a Z or millennial. Try to keep them patient going through three separate clicks. Like it's not, it's not a really great model. So anyway, I I, I was looking for uh the column so I could send it to you to share with you. And uh I knew didn't want you to have to go through the um uh the sometimes bizarre non-paywall paywall. They claim it's free for everyone. Uh and so I um I just clicked on her i went to her profile page and sent you the the article and i later that that was on her web page and then i later realized it was an article from bismarck's the bismarck north dakota newspaper so that's what you got i didn't realize bismarck north dakota newspaper had its own paywall which oh yeah they do (laughs) come on bismarck north dakota it's not like people are dying to read your newspaper sorry look it's there's so many things first of all it's like not mona sharin oh well guess even i i did find a way around i've now accessed it elsewhere on some sort of sub stack so <laughs> beat the system um but like mona sharin don't drag beyonce into this okay with the headline how dare first how dare meaning that as you know dad in case you didn't know um single ladies is a Beyonce song. So please don't bring her into this uh, with your ir- irritating musings. You know what I mean? Wait, Just- hold on. I got to tell you, that was the contribution of some editor at the Bismarck paper. I don't, I don't think Mona Sharin wrote that. Rach, can we give some a shout out to the some editor in Bismarck, North Dakota, who's a fan of Beyonce? Should we give that person a shout out? Would, <laughs> they've diluted uh queen bee's sort of meaning i mean single ladies is like a it's the exact opposite of what this article is which is like a single ladies is a celebration of not 
of, of a rejection of this idea that you have to live this life partnered up. Um, and this article is saying the exact opposite, which is that like, so arguably this societal part, a contributing factor to the downfall of society is the decoupling of men and women, um, you know, as it relates to the institution of marriage. So it's just like, that is just classic right wing to kind of like, you know, exist on a side of society that's pretty much void of culture. So kind of have to steal the culture of, of another side or of, of the opposing side and then repurpose it for your, you know, Meshuggah um, arguments um, or point of views. But I, I, th I think when I first was reading it, I was like, uh, I think that, it, I mean, sure, it, it, there's just like a degree of obviousness uh, of, of like, there's a duh factor to everything she's saying, which is just that like, it's easier to raise a child with another person, which is like, for sure, there's no questioning that. That's, it's definitely easier. Um, but I think what's like, I think the idea that it sort of has to be, the subtext that it like has to be a man and a woman, which is, you know, obviously the traditional way of looking at things is very much there. And I think even she pay, she says in the article that there, you know, there are ways of getting around um, sort of the traditional family unit and still having like a successful child rearing experience. You know, like she talks about how uh, it's important for, um, it's important, you know, boys, the importance of like uh, boys having a good male figure in their lives. And it's like, okay, well, like, you know, if it doesn't work out and it's not a mom, if it doesn't, it does, if it doesn't, you know, if the family unit is not necessarily reflective, exact, exactly reflective of like, you know, traditional husband and wife setup, then like, great. They got a kid's got a solid uncle who comes in and, and hangs out with them so they see what a, they get a, a, some positive masculinity in their life. You know, like, it's just so, it, it's so eye roll to me. And then furthermore that it's like, okay, so if you're create, if you're are, if your column is in defense of marriage, then by, you know, by your logic, shouldn't we be putting forth legislation that um, fully protects and crystallizes LGBTQ marriage? Look, we got a whole group of people who are trying to get married. So let's let them get married if it's going to be better for the economy, <laughs> you know what I mean? Or like whatever. And it's also so like, duh, a lot of what she's saying is duh. This country was founded on rather heteronormative ideals and values so okay you're telling me that the systems that exist are the systems that are in place in america are better suited uh or should i say like the systems that we have in place um will work better for uh for the demographic of people that they were created for yeah that sounds about right to me you know this this country was founded on the idea of like a man 
and a man going forth with freedom in the world and he's got his wife who is his property blah 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 and you know then you know they got their herd of children that you know that uh, sort of are part of the crew and it's just like yeah that that is that's sort of like the social fabric history of this nation so all these facts and figures that you're pulling out are going to reflect uh, sort of like the founding fuckery of this country. I, it's just, it's not, <laughs> it's, it's kind of like, yeah, yeah, you're not, she's not really s revealing anything that we don't know about how this nation works. I also just think it's unrealistic, like, especially, and I know this is where you're going, dad, with, with what you're going to want to talk about, but like, especially in a world where we're making women carry babies to term when they don't necessarily want to, or especially at a time in our society when, when as a country we're pushing for that, it's like, it's just not gonna work out with, with a man and a wife every single time. So we're gonna have to put things in place that can give people, can give, you know, every single child that kind of ends up here, the support they need to kind of like do the best with, with what they can. Yeah. Well, I, you know, it's um, uh, by coincidence last night uh, at Thanksgiving. I don't think you were part of this conversation. I was having a conversation with a couple of people there. Uh, and uh, someone asked me, how much do you think it costs to raise a child? Uh, and it was a millennial having to cover. Oh, I remember it was Taj. Shout out, Taj. Uh, and um, how much do you think it cost? And uh, and I was like, I actually saw an article to this point, uh, Rach. I, I can't remember where I, I saw it, but I think it was something along. Now I'm going to screw everything up because everybody knows my memory and my dyslexia. I'm going to screw up the numbers. But it was some really high amount of money. You know what I mean? Like at least 50000 maybe 100000 I forget what it was. But it was a lot of money. And... Uh, so this gets to, uh, well, this ties both issues, the abortion issue and uh, uh, the um, single uh, parent household issue. It is, you're absolutely correct. It is duh, such a duh thing to think, to make a big deal of the fact that two incomes will give a family more cushion than one income. You follow what I'm saying, Rach? Uh, yeah. So... So she blames this all on feminists. And I'm thinking of all the other, all the other aspects at play and all the other variables at play in this. So if you have as a single uh, parent household, you know, and there's, uh, you can't meet the, you can't pay all your bills. And so your child is being raised in poverty. Shouldn't we as a society be contributing to that family? So that that child does not grow up in poverty, that that child doesn't have all the disadvantages, uh, isn't faced, doesn't have all the advantages, I should say, of a child in a two-parent house. Or are we going to blame, quote unquote, the parent? We're going to go, it's not our fault that you're poor. It's not our fault that you had a kid. So therefore, we can't be held accountable uh, for it. So, but okay, so you're going to blame the parent. <laughs> but wait a minute. Is it, aren't they victims of feminists? If if you're going to take the Mona argument all away, the they're victims of feminists. They didn't know. 
It was a feminist who made them do this. So just out of sympathy for a victim. But the same forces on the right that are drawn to her rhetoric, Rachel, are the same ones who will oppose giving more assistance to a single parent fam uh, family to eradicate childhood poverty. They would be the ones who would be fighting it. They're the one, there's the forces of the Republican Party and MAGA in every state house across the land, including in Illinois. The most, if you look at any debate on anything from like uh, free food in school to uh, raising the allowance that a single mom gets to raise a kid, if you look at any of those votes in Illinois, the bluest state in the union, the opposition will come from the Republican Party. The same Republican Party that says, woman, you must give birth. You have to give birth, otherwise it's murder. And we don't even know where the man is. There's like another person involved in this, uh, Mona. You know what I'm saying? It's like two people involved in the procreation process. So I don't, I just think they want poverty, Rach. I think they just want to keep people in poverty and yeah. keep them desperate. That's my thoughts on this one. Go ahead. Take it away. Yeah. I mean, it's the same Republican. Yeah. She's like, like, who is she speaking for? Who is she a mouthpiece for? Not that she, I'm, I'm sure Mona Sharon would, um, Mona, let me speak to your manager. Sharon would have some issues with being called a mouthpiece for anyone, but it's like, what, who does your rhetoric service, you know, right the right um it's sort of a defensive this whole piece is sort of functioning as like a defensive marriage you know which is just like cool yeah we could get we could get marriage you know like it's it's clear that there's always been economic incentive to marriage whether it is you know just like looking back to like you know I don't even know what it was called, but like when, you know, a, a woman and a man would be, would get married and the man would have to pay a certain amount to the woman's family, or I don't know, maybe the woman was paying, I think it was the man was paying a certain amount to, uh, to the woman's family, like the woman's father or whatever. And so it's like, <clears throat> you know, obviously there's a real truth that like marriage is so much more and and this is what i was getting at it's embedded in our culture um that marriage is sort of like um a bit a business merger in many ways and <clears throat> that's always been true so so individuals who skip that step um, and don't get married or opt out for whatever reason are going to feel the financial pains of that. And it's like, okay, uh, it's, it's, it's very, that's, that's obvious. That's obvious. Say something more. Okay. We know that's true. So what's your solution, Mona? Are we, um, giving more financial support to, to, um, single mothers or are, are we, you know, taking it in a, in a stark, in a very different direction. And are we like, uh, are, are we doing like forced sterilization tactics for, um, you know, for anyone who 
tries to have a baby without um without you know without the presence of a man or without the pre without out of wedlock whatever you know what I mean it's like these words are I feel like her what she's saying can just be repurposed for such for or used as fodders for such volatile arguments I think that's what's just frustrating about it and you're right it's happening at a time when we're seeing so much expectation around you know seeing around uh seeing pregnancies through no matter what no matter if they are intended or unintended um yeah it's it's pretty it, the whole thing is pretty annoying and pretty just like general eye roll vibes um is how i feel about it yeah uh, uh i think you're talking about a dowry which is actually um uh, the bride is the bride's family pays it to the husband which <laughs> just underscores the point you're making even more uh traditional dowry um all right well let's get to the abortion ella side of this equation i was hit with a one-two punch this morning like i said uh, first i read uh mona Sherman's column blaming feminists for the rise of single uh, family uh, a single parent households and not s supporting any kind of initiative that would help help a single parent family uh compensate for the realities that, that they're facing uh and and also as rachel pointed out well really underscore this not in any way uh looking at the fierce opposition that comes from maga even to this day and from the republicans to uh marriage equality look out florida it's they're going to try to get rid of marriage equality it's going to be a fight uh, in the next, uh, definitely in the next year or so, probably come before the Supremes. And Clarence Thomas has already suggested uh, he'll, he wants to undo it. Um, move to the abortion uh, question. And we talked a lot, Rach, a couple weeks ago when um, Ohio voters overwhelmingly approved, I think it was 57 or 58% of the vote, uh, a, a referendum, a statewide referendum that would essentially give abortion rights uh, to women in the state of Ohio. And this um, initiative came as a result of anti-abortion laws that the Republicans in Ohio had passed and enforced over the last, I don't know, decade or so. And just so you know, ladies and gentlemen, Ohio is a state that is basically a red state, a Trump state, a MAGA state. Uh, it's pretty clear that that's what it is right now. But to uh, even make it worse... They, uh, through gerrymandering, uh, have set up a legislative system that gives Republicans a commanding presence well beyond their just simple majority uh, in statehouse affairs. That's the that's the price of gerrymandering, ladies and gentlemen. Democrats, that's the price of being asleep at the wheel in local elections like you've been for most of the century uh, until recently. And uh, so it is one of the most repressive states uh, in the union when it comes to abortion rights. We talked a lot about last year, the 10 year old girl who was raped. She lived in Columbus, Ohio. She moved her, her parent, her family took her to Indiana, Indiana, Indiana to get an abortion, which caused oh, quite God. a rocket. Yes, I know. It went Indiana. Ohio to Indiana. <laughs> I know. When, when like, which level of hell are there. you trying to descend into? <laughs> So uh, so that kind of really uh, put the light on the uh, repressive abortion laws uh, in the state of Ohio. And there was a movement to get on the ballot, which the Republicans resisted, a uh, referendum 
that would uh, enshrine the rights for women to have abortion. Republicans did everything they did could do to undercut this amendment. They failed. The voters defeated their Republican efforts twice at the ballot. First, when it came to an effort to raise the threshold to pass the amendment from a simple majority to 60 percent, that failed. And then the actual amendment, well, roughly 58 percent of the voters uh, voted for. So you would figure at this stage, we live in a democracy that the uh, leaders in Ohio would go about uh, providing, changing their laws so that there would be abortion rights in the state of Ohio. No. In the article uh, that I uh, read this morning uh, and share with Rachel talked about the efforts of the Republicans who are in charge uh, in Ohio, the legislators, the state senators, et cetera, and so forth, uh, to do absolutely everything they can to ignore the referendum that was just passed. And they got all their legal uh, gobbledygook arguments. You know, everybody's suddenly a lawyer when it comes to undercutting something that they should, they know they should be doing by law. But they, uh, you know, everybody's suddenly a, a technocrat, you know, a legal brilliant genius. You look for those little loopholes that you can escape from. Uh, and uh, the basic point is that they're circumventing uh, the will of the voters. And so what's going to happen, there's going to be a series of lawsuits regarding all the uh, anti-abortion measures that are on the books. It'll probably go to the state Supreme Court of Ohio, which is controlled by Republicans. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how those Republicans uh, will rule in the state court. Will they abide by the principles of democracy uh, or will they resort to their legal training and just look for legal loopholes to avoid uh, the will of the people? Everybody's going to be their inner lawyer uh, that they discover at moments like this. Uh, so really, right, think about it. Essentially, the Republican Party uh, is saying to women, you've got to have the kid. We're not going to help you with the kid. And we're going to, the fact that you're uh, at a disadvantage trying to raise the kid, we're going to blame that on some unknown 60s feminists. It's the fault of the women. They're the ones who did it back then in the 60s who tried to discredit women from getting into marriages with men. It's their fault. If you have a complaint, go take it up with Betty Friedan. She's been dead for so Take it up with her anyway. It's Gloria Steinem's fault. I feel this is a form of cruelty and madness uh, being perpetrated by the Republican Party against the women of America. Your thoughts. Yeah. Blame dead women. What a tactic. <laughs> and that's what they're essentially saying. Yeah, I, uh, I agree with you. It's just, um, it's, it's so disgustingly, it feels disgustingly simple just to sort of, um, well, first of all, the stuff, what's going on in Ohio is like, sometimes it's just like, our whole three branches of government is like setup is just it 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 can be it's can be shocking to me that like when are we just going to be like the people have spoken like i'm reading this art i'm reading this um article that you sent me um about the amendment is was it an amendment even I mean, having well, what, it, the abortion protections, essentially. But so it's mm -hmm. like they passed the protections, right? 
it was it you know it was probably like one of those i'm assuming it was like one of those like um come on what is it were you were you sending your like a question on the ballot type yeah, referendum thing. it was a referendum and it was that they were establishing the principle of the right to abortion right the, uh, freedom of abortion as a right in the state of ohio and they pass it and what the uh uh, the lawyers in the Republican Party are saying, well, it did not uh, specifically target any anti-abortion bills. So therefore, even though it establishes the the right of abortion, of people to have it or women to have an abortion uh, in Ohio, since it doesn't attack or uh, reverse a particular bill that keeps them from having an abortion, it's it's meaningless. And so right. what they're going to do is force abortion act, uh, advocates to go to court to uh, try to eradicate a, like a law that says oh, no woman can have an abortion a after a moment that like, you could detect a heartbeat, heartbeat bill. Okay. The heartbeat so, bill, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So then it, they, because they'll have to, the advocates will have to go to court and say, this referendum was a, the voice of the voters the voice of democracy said that women should have an, uh, uh, the right to have an abortion. This law, this heartbeat law, prohibits women from having abortion. Therefore, you should rule as unconstitutional this heartbeat law. So they're going to force the Republicans, MAGA, uh, the right wing in Ohio, is going to force the advocates to go to court for every single law that restricts abortion in, uh, in order to get the will of the voters expressed and ultimately they'll have to go to the supreme court in ohio which is four to three right now maga so right. it's iffy whether the, you know they'll like i said they'll go they'll concoct some that's what i meant some loophole about why it's loophole. not the will of the voters why it's yes or why the will of the voters uh is unconstitutional somehow or other they'll come up with some legal gobbledygook to explain whatever it is they want to do which is to keep women from getting access to abortions that's the game that's yeah. the game yeah i mean it's just like i this stuff is it's a long and arduous journey this fight and um you know we talk so much about systems and uh you know we're talking so much about systems and structures in this nation as it pertains to um the success of a single parent parent home but i mean i think the same the same ideas are at play here of just like what and when it when it comes to like individual freedoms or liberties or whatever you want to call it all the things that this country is supposedly so obsessed with um the systems that are in place are very much like thwarting those liberties and freedoms and the will of the voters and so it begs a question like are these are these three, you know, our, is our system, our three branches of government system, which is at play, you know, locally and then also nationally, um, actually levers of democracy or manifestations of democracy, or do they just function to like thwart the will of the people? If democracy is supposed to be like a direct reflection of like, um, you know, sort of the will and the want of the, of the 
of the proletariat or the people or whatever, then um, is it actually working in that way? And it's when I when I read stories like these um, where the people have said one thing and then the manifestation of what the people have said looks very differently, then it definitely makes me question what's uh, what's really how are how are these systems like actually failing us the trickery the deceit it's just so frustrating and it's such a fight and so it's like now what's gonna happen okay now we gotta take down we we've got this i guess what's good about this is like about this referendum is it it's i ideally could put a pause on any new legislative fuckery that the Republican Party tries to put forth. Because, okay, fine, we can't undo any, this doesn't necessarily undo anything that's come before, but at the very least, an all in an all-out ban or anything there, anything that you're trying to um, you know, uh anything more extreme or um what's the word I'm looking for here? where it's like super archaic and uh, there's a word for it, but I, it's escaping me. Um, anything even more uh, extreme, let's go extreme right, uh, would not would not pass. So it's like, okay, we've kind of put a stop on moving, um, on moving the climate any further right. So now what do we do with, uh, with everything that's, you know, already exists that seems to be at odds with um, this referendum that's just passed. Okay, it's a painstaking process. We have to go through every single um, legislative win for the Republicans in terms of ex of um, expunging abortion, or you know, of of getting rid of abortion altogether in the state of Ohio, and um, and and sort of chip away at it. Yeah, that sounds absolutely exhausting. And I guess, you know, I guess that is why people are like, see, it is a true democracy because nothing, all the systems don't allow it to waver too for back and forth in one direction. And it's like, is it, bro? Because I'm sure people just here want to be able to not have to like be a single parent if they don't have to, and then fare horribly in a country that doesn't allow single parents to do well. Yeah. Well, I think you were hitting on it uh, and that it's an exhaustive process, and, but you can't allow yourself to get exhausted because the uh, if you're viewing this as a struggle for abortion rights, the other side never gets exhausted. Uh, and so in the case of Ohio, uh, what I picked up off on your riff is this. Okay, so you, th you think you established uh, the, uh, a right to abortion through your referendum, and then you realize that the MAGA-controlled, the Republican-controlled Supreme Court is going to essentially uh, undercut that right, that referendum. They're going to essentially uh, find some legal language in order to... Uh, defeat it so then what do you have to do you have to go defeat those republicans at the next election you have to like they did in wisconsin you have to go defeat the supreme court justice uh, at the ballot box because you have to make them pay and this is this is where democrats have traditionally dropped the ball 
again, I said lately they've been getting better at it. Republicans play, uh, they understand the, the importance of state politics, uh, and Democrats lose sight of it. Uh, in, in many cases, I, in many cases, Democrats are completely unaware of local elections. You know, and uh, I could go on and on how in Chicago, they, we still don't have an elected school board. That's like undercutting. We watch school boards under attack rates all over the country from the right. In Chicago, we don't even have an elected school board. So we just like undercut them. Just like the basic flexing of that muscle is, is not uh, practice in, in, in uh, Chicago, that, the most democratic city. Uh, or used to be anyway. I don't know where it's at now. So uh, that's what's next, in my humble opinion. Okay. They, we thought we won with this referendum. Then it was overturned effectively by the Supremes. Now we got to elect Supremes who won't overturn it. That's that's the game. It's you're right. It's ceaseless. It's exhausting. But the other side's not getting exhausted, right? And if they do get a little exhausted, they get fired up by Mona writing, "It's the it's Gloria Steinem's fault. It's those feminists' fault. Otherwise, these women wouldn't be having the baby." Isn't that the weirdest thing? Like, is it like? <laughs> It's like Brady for Dan's fault that some woman and a man engaged in the act. You know what I'm saying, Rach? It's like it's so bizarre the game they play. And yet, seem to be winning. Right, they do. All right, um, let's move on. Oh, you have any closing thoughts on this before I move on to no, a lighter let's, topic? Let's, let's move on to the lighter topic. All right, lighter topics is another co- article I saw and I immediately sent it. Uh, to rage. It was in the Washington Post. Uh, it was a long, long article uh, paying respects to two people I hadn't thought about in a long time. Uh, and uh, I'm now going to blank on their names. Clay Ake, I'm going to show my baby boomer status. Uh, and Ruben Stuttered. Stuttered. Yes. So this article, what, what this article brought home to me, Rach, is that millennials now have nostalgia, among other things. And so this was a reminiscence uh, about a, uh, a season in American Idol from 2003 in which the battle came down to Ruben Studdard versus uh, Clay Aiken. It got, I forget how many millions of people voted, uh, and uh, Ruben barely won. Then they went I on think to I have might their... have been voting. I think I might have called in. <laughs> might have been. I must have. I might have voted for Ruben Sutter. Two thousand four. I'm wondering is he is Ruben Sutter playing two thousand? I'm sorry for two thousand four, and I ain't gonna mess up no more. I was a Ruben Sutter fan. I I, I'm, I have no idea what that song is. Um, I mean, I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure what it what it re, how it relates to. I was barely aware. Okay, for for the record, I know my daughters and all their friends were really into American Idol in 2003. But I was like, ah, oh, it's classic baby. This is garbage. I didn't even watch it. And I was, I think mainly, I found that guy was so annoying, man. What's his name? Seacrest. Ryan Always Seacrest. Annoying, annoying, annoying. I finally the watched last it. Metrosexual Ryan Seacrest. Why do you call him the last? The last metrosexual? Because metrosexual was like such a, it was like such a, a, um, a, 
<laughs> it was such a idea of the early two of the early 2000s it was like um it's the it's the metrosexual versus gay debate it's like um i like to you know metrosexual men are like i like to look good i like to shave my legs i like to be kind of pretty but i have sex with women um and, and that is very much ryan seacrest's entire vibe he like represented um that type of man who's like uh very pretty and and manicured but very straight um <clears throat> and that was kind of before you know 2003 it was like still before you know there was a there weren't a lot of being gay was um not as cool or um allowed and so uh, some gayness was uh masked in metrosexuality I mean, of okay. course, there are men who like to probably have sex with women who, um, you know, like who are pretty and like to uh, be well kept. And so we can't erase them either. But metrosexuality, eh, you know, more often than not. I mean, Clay Aiken, it was like, what's up with his sexual? Like, is he kind of who he who's he? Wait, so hold, hold on. Let's let me let's let's go back over. So they, they've reunited. They had their careers have kind of wandered around. Clay Aiken tried politics, didn't work out for him. Now he's denouncing politics. Uh, he ran for office. I think it was in uh, his home state of either South Carolina or North Carolina. I forget which one it was. One or the other. Uh, he lost, uh, and so now they're doing a tour together. And so they're like combining their popularities. They're they're they're. Uh, uh, and they're bringing, it's a total nostalgia tour. They're singing songs that they sang in the competition. Uh, they're, they're, they're bantering back and forth about the competition. Uh, and one of the elements to your point, Rach, is that Clay Aikens has come out. He's now openly gay, whereas he was closeted back in 2003. So mm -hmm. let me ask you this. You were uh, a kid back then were you aware of these subterranean themes etc and so forth while you were watching the show back in 2003 yeah for sure um i also it will yeah i mean everyone was like pretty sure you know there were many speculations about his sexuality and for what it's worth ryan seacrest's um but uh you know, I think that it is, it is, it's great to see how the world has changed and that Clay Aiken can be um, his full gay self on this tour. And, and in that way, it's like, what sort of a classic marriage of cultures, you know what I mean? It's like any event that is going to bring black people and white people together in this country for viewing pleasures is an event that is okay in my book. You know what I mean? Like, let's just pause for a second and consider who is going to be in the audience <laughs> of this tour. It is going to be, it's going to be a cornucopia of culture. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be some tremendous people watching. I mean, honestly, if someone was like, oh, I have two tickets to this that you don't have to pay for and you just have to show up, do you want them? I'd be like, yeah, sure, I'll go. This sounds incredibly, like an incredibly classic event. I also want to say that um, 
uh, I think that this is also a nostalgia moment for um, Gen for uh, Gen X because it's like uh, Clay Aiken and Ruben Sutter, they're not millennials, they're Gen X, you know, like uh, they are, you know, 45. That's not millennial. We don't know that I'm not claiming them, you know, like that's, that's that other generation. Um, and, and also I think a lot of people who were watching the show at the time, like were 30 or older, which is firmly Gen X. So I think that in that way, um, it's, it's, a it's, it's a, it's a nostalgia moment for, I don't know. I don't think it's like, oh my God, finally nostalgia for millennials. Like it's like, it's a little bit of a Gen X millennial nostalgia moment. Um, for me, it's more, it would be more firmly like, um, you know, I was fully a kid when all this was going down. Um, but I do feel like there were like some young adults or whatever who were watching and fans of the show who are now, you know, late forties, fifties, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I guess good for them is kind of how I feel about this. Good for them. Um, you know, Ruben stuttered singing sweet home, Alabama. Sure. <laughs> sure. If you must, do you want wow. uh, that's odd. Know. That's odd. But he used to sing that. That was like one of his, I think I, in preparation for this, yes, I prepare for all of my guest spots <laughs> on the Bunny Play show. I watched, I think like a promo video for this tour. And um, and one of the songs that Ruben was singing was Sweet Home Alabama. I was like, okay, who's making you do that, sir? Blink twice if you're okay. You know, <laughs> blink twice if you need help type thing wow um, I did. okay wait time out so help me here so uh full disclosure i was not watching uh, american idol in 2003 i was denouncing it having never seen it yeah typical thing Rachel would know all about it because she grew up with me Only uh, like and everyone else in your household was watching it i know everyone it, and there were a couple shows like that like i would act like i mean I, there was some great reason not to watch. What was that one? Oh, everybody watched it except for me. I will not watch this show. Um, it was uh, Housewives. Gossip House Girl. The sound. Well, Gossip oh, Girl. Was like, a... oh, I hate how this show sounds. <laughs> like, okay. Like the score. I've never heard someone hate the score of a TV show so much. Not my <laughs> finest moments, ladies and gentlemen. I admit it. Uh, <laughs> So I was denouncing American Idol, but then I, I uh, dedicated a year to American Idol. I said, you know what? I'm going to see what my daughters and all their friends, are. what what this is. So I think it was 2006 was the year I dedicated to American Idol. And um, typical me, complete uh, observer of Chicago politics, I immediately denounced it. No, after I, I got into it for a while, although I really dislike Ryan Seacrest, we could talk about that. Uh, and um, uh, the rates, I really kind of like the judges, Paula Abdul, Randy Jackson. I mean, yeah. I really enjoyed them, Simon Cowell, and the way I, I kind of got into the whole show. But then when they got to the voting, I was like, this is a scam. I remember telling you and, and Hannah, your sister, this is a scam. This stuff is rigged. This stuff is rigged. And you guys, Dad, be quiet. We're watching this show. 
And uh, I, I, to this day, I think the 2006 show, by the way, was fixed. I'm just saying that, ladies and gentlemen. Um, so, but 2003, uh, I, I wasn't watching. I was denouncing it. So do you have like a good vibe memory of it when you look back at it? Like, oh, this is just a great moment that I feel nostalgic for, that I, I kind of like uh, regret that this time has passed. Uh, oh, regret. Oh, take me back to American Idol days. I'm looking through the winners and I'm realizing that I stopped knowing who the people are after 2007. So I must have stopped watching in high school um, because I do think it was like a very, a, something that I did with my sister, your other daughter, Hannah and mom. And so it was like, that was when Hannah went away to college, we must've been like, we can't watch without her. And so <laughs> we, it, the whole practice must, must've like gone away. But um, I mean, there were some like Fantasia Barino. I still listen. I love Fantasia. She won after Ruben stuttered in 04. Um, but then they would have. Who won years, in 06? Uh, Taylor Hicks. Who, and who the, did Taylor they, Hicks beat in 06? Because that's where the fix was in. I know the fix was in Taylor Hicks. It the was, um, it was cat. He beat Catherine McPhee who is exceptionally talented, but Catherine McPhee has gone on to have a way more, um, powerful career than Taylor Hicks. I mean, take, take, take Jennifer Hudson. Yeah. She, um, was she, two, what, she, she was 206. She, she was, um, no, when was she, she was on, I think she was against Fantasia. No, she was 04 and she was a finalist. So yeah, she was a finalist in the Fantasia year who again, love Fantasia, some great albums. She put out, Fantasia put out a great album after she got off American Idol. Um, but uh, yeah, so um, Jennifer Hudson was the same year as uh, Fantasia, but she didn't win. But she's, I mean, Jennifer Hudson, let's look at her. She's took over Ellen's slot. So uh, there's plenty of people who have gone on American Idol, used American Idol as a springboard. If anything, I think that like the winners of American Idol more often than not don't have the most illustrious careers. It's the runner ups who, you know, aren't contained by their identity as American Idol winner. You know what I mean? It's like when you when you when you win American Idol, it's sort of like, where do we go from here? It's you're I think more often than not, you're not really taken serious as seriously as an artist because you're more seen as a contest winner. Yeah. Um, and so I feel like, you know, as I said, it's really the ones that have really like done something big have been the ones that like were on it and sort of discovered uh in the process of being on it. Uh, so uh, what I, what I was the question, I forgot to ask, I was leading to, did Ruben sing sweet home Alabama on the show itself? Or is this something that he's added to his repertoire of songs subsequent? Because that is so deep. Sweet home Alabama, ladies and gentlemen is a song that uh, Leonard Skinner wrote in the seventies, 
Uh, it's a denunciation of Neil Young. Oh, God, we talk about this song on the show a lot. And it's Maybe like a too. denunciation of integration. It's a den- yeah, it's a defense of George Wallace. It's a defense of Alabama. It's a defense of Richard Nixon. It's a def- It's an attack on Democrats uh, for initiating the Watergate proceedings. It was MAGA before MAGA. If you see the uh, video, the, the Leonard Skinner video, they're waving Confederate flags. This, <laughs> this, this song... Uh, is uh, deeply problematic uh, on on many ways, uh, and um, one of the background singers, Mary Clayton, has talked about how uh, upsetting it was to her to be she's a black woman uh, to sing the background uh, for it. So it's a very deeply symbolic song, uh, and MAGA has embraced it. Uh, it's like we're just speaking our truth. An old boy who can't sing but is a hero, a, a star anyway. Uh, don't get me started on Kid Rock. Uh, there's no such thing as meritocracy in this country. The guy can't sing. He's a star. Okay. Uh, and um, he, he sang, he he covered it. So the notion that a black man would sing it, uh, if he's not doing it as a parody, uh, if he's uh, not doing it ironically, uh, man, I don't know. It's, uh, hey, like I began the show, it's a free country. You can do whatever you want. But you're making a statement. That's for certain. I, so it's you do a little know. bit. It's a little bit blink twice if you need help. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, he Well, he grew up in Alabama. And so uh, I think that, like, it's just so, you know, it's sanitizing the song, right? You know, like having him, you know, American Idol was one of those one of those that one of those shows that um brought together white and black america you know apol and, and a apolitical in its uh in its is sort of an a it's an apolitical show so bringing together right and left america white and black america et cetera et cetera so i don't know how he came to sing that song i don't know i definitely can't remember the process of like choosing songs um but either way he did it was either selected for him or you know I, i'm sure oh, and I, I have to i have to assume that people you know the contestants uh selection of songs from week to week is a uh rather political choice as well and that they must be you know steered in different directions by producers etc cetera, etc cetera. so yeah. you know a black man from alabama singing that song from birmingham growing up in birmingham alabama no less um you know a, a city that was unbelievably uh resistant to put it lightly to integration efforts um singing that song is it, it i have to assume that the powers that be who were the decision makers, there were some decision makers kind of meddling there to make that happen. And, you know, never, no shame to Ruben Studdard ever, because it's like, you know, you're doing what you got to do at the moment that you're doing it. Um, But man, you really about to sing sweet home Alabama on the tour, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Damn. Uh yeah, and uh, I would say uh, Alabama is one of those states at the forefront of not allowing marriage equality, by the way, any day now, just tying all our themes together. Uh, so this is like the success of American Idol. I just thought about this when you're riffing. Uh, it is young Gen Xers, because at the time, Ruben Stutter was 25, 
and uh, Clay, or 24, Clay Aiken was 25 or 24. Young Gen Xers singing baby boomer songs mm -hmm. uh, for an audience of younger millennials. And this, what a, what a powerful, God, thinking about it, man, what a marketing thing. Because the baby boomer, I know when I'd be, well, oh, I know this song. This song was popular back in da 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 da. Uh, wait a minute, sing more. You're destroying. Then, then, of course, me, I would get mad. You're destroying this song. This is not the Gladys Knight version. You yeah. got it. <laughs> I feel like you liked Fantasia, though. I, Fantasia I mean, I, sang Midnight Train of Georgia, I think. Did she? I'm sure I, she did. I, 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 uh, I don't. I can't remember that. I just know that when they trained to Georgia's one of my favorite songs of all time. And I, I crank it up whenever I hear it. Uh, and also because I have this like family in LA now, I just, whenever I fly in LA, I just, I hit that airport and that's the first, I start saying, LA proved too much for them. Oh, now he's uh, singing it now. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> like, God damn, he's good. Let's get him on the tour, Clay. <laughs> uh, oh, you being added to the tour. <laughs> oh, Lord. Anyway, American. All right. We'll close with this. Name your favorite American Idol judge and why. Go. I would. I love, you know, I got a lot of love for Paula Abdul. She, first of all... Jewish woman, you know, uh, she had to, I feel like she had to put up with a lot and, um, she, uh, she just like, she brought a positivity. She brought a positivity to the show and she was like constantly having to, um, combat the, I would say, um, misogynistic culture that was, uh, propping up Simon Cowell as king. And it was like, she was thrust into some bullshit, will they, won't they narrative with him, who, I mean, honestly, Simon Cowell, probably a gay man himself. And so, uh, like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it came out that Simon Cowell seeing gentleman callers. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, you know, I, I would not be surprised by that. But, yeah. so I think Paula, I loved Paula. She was just like, you know, she was like the, in my eyes, I think she was like the Jewish, um, a little bit like the Jewish Mariah Carey. She was such a good dancer too. And so it was like, oh my God, look at this Jewish girl who can dance. Yes. <laughs> young, for young Ray J, that was like, she was, she was a little bit yeah. iconic. Yeah. But also I was like, what song? I definitely did not know her music. I like only knew her because of American Idol. Yeah. Like, who are these people um, <laughs> outside of this show? They had no existence for you outside of this show. No, absolutely uh, not. I um, and what I had a fondness, uh, which is there's something about Randy. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of like that guy. Um, I don't know why, actually. Um, uh, I and I, I kind of felt that whoever his persona on the show was nothing like what he was probably like in real life, which is I would say it's across the board for absolutely all of them. Sure. Uh, uh, but I found I'll just close. I found uh, when I in re retrospect, 
And by the way, I really enjoyed Simon Cowell. I have to admit, like when he would do his little stage riffs uh, where he would denounce somebody, it was just, it was like wrestling, you know, and wrestling with they they have the 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 enemy, the um the bad guy who's designated bad guy. That's how we're pro wrestling, not real wrestling, but pro wrestling. There's the, the designated bad guy, and so that was her Simon Cowell. But I just found uh, Seacrest insufferable. He was so glib. I'm like, this guy, could there be anybody less sincere in America on a microphone than this guy? You know what I mean? The whole thing was about him projecting how he was above above it all and understood the joke everywhere. And so it's like, are, so is this all just a joke? I, are you pretending? You're kind of making fun of these contestants while you're celebrating them? I, I Rach, I found that guy in so he brought nearly nothing to the table. You're not wrong there. He really did. Really brought nothing to the table and um, continues to. And anytime you see that guy get in work, it's sort of like, what do you do? What do you do but sort of word vomit um, <laughs> in a way that makes people, um, <laughs> you know, I don't know, not fear the great replacement of whites. I don't know. Like what is, what is uh, Ryan Seacrest represent near, I would say close to nothing. And he also ushered in the age of the, uh, this one. <laughs> what's the, the beard? That's not really a beard where you pretend you've shaved. I always talk about this football coaches are now emulating him. You, you pretend you're not shaving when you were actually shaving. I could go on and on about Ryan Seacrest and culture. Uh, so by, final question, will you be getting tickets for uh, the tour? Uh, and- like I said, if someone, um, I, if someone offered me tickets, I would uh, absolutely go. Will I be yeah. spending my own? I won't even spend my own hard-earned dollars on Drake. So uh, I'm damn for sure. Definitely not going to spend it on these two. <laughs> I, could just I also have like a rule that I can't spend a certain amount of money on a on a male musician. Like if I like like you know, it's one thing to drop three hundred on Beyonce's Renaissance tour, but you know, I, I I have I have a standard for for where for where my hard earned dollars are going. Yeah, I hear you. I'm, now I'm really wondering about the Bismarck uh, North Dakota he- headline writer. Was he or she aware of the irony of using that Beyonce song for Mona Sharin's column? Were they being ironic, intentionally ironic, or were they being clueless? I have to think. No, it's like when they pay Ray Charles at the Republican National Convention. It's like, um, try again. (laughs) I'll never forget that, that uh, Ray Charles. America. All right. Very good. Uh, Ray J, thank you very much. Uh, and I will not repeat, not be uh, attending the, the, the Ruben play concert, but I uh, did enjoy reading that article in the Washington Post. So anyway, Rach, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Uh, and I also want to thank uh, producer Chris. He did an outstanding job. And I know Rachel and Clay and Ruben and even Ryan Seacrest agree with me when I say uh, hey, producer Chris, give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Peace and love, everybody. And remember, you can always catch up on previous Ben Jarofsky shows, get Benny J. bonus interviews, columns from Ben Jarofsky, and a whole lot more, all for free at chicagoreader.com. 
Follow Ben on Instagram at Benny J Show and like and subscribe to The Ben Jarofsky Show on your favorite streaming and podcasting platforms. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.